Seriously, where do you begin to understand what's happening in the last 18 months? Life in this world is beginning to look like the director's cut of Lord of the Rings. Indescribable torment, tyranny, and it just never ends. Okay, let's take a moment. Separate fact from Hollywood. For that, you need the truth. DNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Well, it reminds me about that Billy Preston song. Will it go round in circles? Uh-huh. You remember that song? That tells the story of the good old U.S. of A today. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hump Day Midweek. So many things going on in your life. I know, vacations, getting ready for back to school, trying to figure out what you're going to do to uh, fill your your shelves with groceries and baby food and things like that that we have a shortage of. And nobody at the top is talking about that. There's a lot of talk up at the top. Oh, my gosh. President Biden, he's all up into whatever it is he's up into every day. I can't keep up with him. I don't think he can keep up with him. And we understand now maybe today he's going to give us a unilateral plan to fix the climate problems on the earth. Everybody thinks that he is possibly going to declare a national emergency on climate change. And when he speaks today, I promise you, I promise you, he's going to talk about the heat and say, this is an existential threat to the United States of America. We've got to step in. And of course, this is all because West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin threw a monkey wrench into his half a trillion dollars worth of Green New Deal climate change funding. That on top of all the other trillions that this government has spent that has put us in the inflation situation where we are. Of course, they will never admit to that. Just like Joe Biden will never take responsibility for the price you're paying for gas at the pump. There's, there's, that just fits right into that opening. Will it go round in circles? It all does. And usually a circle always comes back to where it starts, right? But Joe Biden sidesteps that circle coming back to him. He refuses to be accountable for any of the things that are the results of his policies, direct results. And I mean, anytime you get a, you get a little scrape of anything that looks good happening in the nation, they jump in and take immediate responsibility for it. Like, you know, the price of gas has dropped a little bit of late. Oh, that's because of Joe Biden's brilliant handling of this Putin inflation. We were in the dump months before Vladimir Putin even planned to invade Ukraine. That was all at Joe Biden's feet. Everything is all at Joe Biden's feet. Now, what do the American people think about this? I saw something very early this morning. It just shocked me. New York Times, probably the most liberal newspaper in America. And so they did a little poll about how you and I think about the important things that we face today. And of course, this is the backdrop for what the president's doing today. He's probably going to issue another executive order on climate stuff. 
So the New York Times, they got a hold of a bunch of good old average American people and um, talked to them about climate, things to do with the climate, and that being the most important problem facing the country. That's what we have had shoveled down our throats for 18 months. Number one thing, the most important thing in world history, climate change, climate change. What are those American people that the New York Times contacted? What do they think about this? Do you think climate is the most important problem facing the country? Total voters, now this is Republicans and Democrats, total voters, 1% think climate change is the most important problem facing the country. Well, that could be, you know, skewed very much downward because they probably got a whole lot of Republicans in their poll. You know, it's weighted. Democrats that were polled. Only 3% of Democrats said that climate change is the most important problem facing the nation. So what's going on here? Why is every person that has a D after their name, every single one, and sadly there are a bunch of Republicans that are feeling this way as well, they think. I'm talking about politicians. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about everyday working people. Those of us that are out here and we're doing the best that we can do just to stay even, keep our noses just above water right now. I'm talking about those 535 people that comprise the U.S. Congress and the bureaucrat hierarchy in Washington, D.C., climate change, climate change, climate change. Why is that? You and I both know those kind of things just don't fall in place. They're manipulated. If they were dealing with circumstances, what a novel idea. Congress and the White House to deal with circumstances that happen in the lives of everyday people that they represent. Are you worried about climate change? Well, I I think pollution, I think we all agree that we need to continue to decrease pollution. It could be a whole lot better, and it's way better than it was 15, 20 years ago, at least in the United States. We lead the world in the reduction of our own carbon emissions and our pollution every year for the last 10 years. We've led the world in that. Instead of patting us on the back and telling us, hey, you guys are doing a great job, that climate agenda, that rabid mob they continue to say, you've just got to shut down activities in, the, in your life in every area. Anything that in any way feeds that carbon, fossil fuel industry way of thinking, you're evil. We got to put you out. That's exactly what this is all about. Where, oh where, is it going? And you would think that there would be such unity in our government at the top. Everybody would be in line. Everybody would be doing their fair share, if not to make a big difference, to at least be good examples. Well, special presidential envoy for climate change, John Kerry, somebody that has an office with a big staff in Washington, D.C., a bureaucrat, non-elected. We can't even know how much he gets paid personally. We can't get information about how much 
is budgeted for his office and operations. Hmm. He wants to make it explicitly clear to us all that addressing this urgent national security threat of climate change, if we're going to get it done, it's going to take everybody working together to lower our emissions. Except, of course, him. Now, you can make an argument that an elitist guy like John Kerry may consider himself more important that you're than your average American citizen like me or you, since he is so fond of imposing rules and restrictions that he himself doesn't follow. He doesn't follow what he tells us we need to do. It's now possible to zero in on a more specific measurement. And as it turns out, John Kerry considers himself about 50 times more important than any measly citizen. What are you talking about? Have you ever heard of Flight Aware? I've used it for a long time. It's a free online um, website that tracks by tail number on every plane that flies. Every plane that flies is registered and it gets its own tail number. Flight Aware tracks the path of all flights. It's really amazing the job they do. And this is a worldwide thing. So they revealed, FlightAware did, that the Kerry family Gulfstream G4. And what is that, Dan? Well, it's uh, (laughs) the Gulfstream jets or the group of the most luxurious, the most exquisite, and the most expensive types of corporate jets. G4 is what the carry guy flies around the world. According to FlightAware, that Gulfstream with the Kerry family aboard has taken 48 trips, 48 of them, since Biden took office. Now, that amounts to over 60 hours in the air. That seems kind of simple. That's no big deal, right? Well, let me tell you what it means. It means that that plane that belongs to Flying Squirrel LLC, which happens to be a charter company that is owned by Teresa Hines Carey, John Carey's wife. Now, they own a bunch of jets. He has a reported $1 million stake in her company. And that jet, that one jet that he flies on all around the world has produced an estimated 715,886 pounds or 325 metric tons of carbon in those 18 Joe Biden administration months. 325 metric tons. Now, what does that look like? Well, by contrast, according to the EPA, the average American driving approximately 11,500 miles a year produces about 4.6 metric tons of carbon with their car each year. That translates to just over 47 times as much carbon produced by Kerry from his jet alone. Meanwhile, Kerry went over to the Petersburg Climate Dialogue in Berlin this week, where he is meeting with representatives from four of the other countries, his counterparts, 
What are they there for? They're addressing the reduction of emissions. <laughs> you could start with uh, a G4, right? <laughs> a spokesperson for the Envoy claimed that Secretary Kerry travels commercially or via military air to fulfill his role for the administration and that he does not use his private jet for such meetings. Interesting, huh? Well, according to FlightAware, he's telling a lie. Monday at the conference, he excused himself of responsibility for his own actions and stated, here's his explanation. Here's why I'm John Kerry. I can do it just because, like Anthony Fauci is science, I am climate change. He didn't really say that, but he means that. What he said was, quote, So I think that the challenge for all of us now is that no one country can solve this problem by itself. We all have to be able to reduce the emissions. We have to accelerate the transition. We're behind. We're not yet fulfilling the promise that we made in Glasgow. So we have our work cut out for us. To me, it's kind of obvious that he hasn't been taking his own warnings to the world that he made after he was appointed by Biden. He's not taking those warnings seriously. After the 2020 presidential election, he posted on Twitter. Yeah, I know it's hard for me to believe, too, that John Kerry has a Twitter account. He didn't post this. He had somebody, a staff member that we don't know who. We don't know how much that staff member makes, but we're paying for that staff member. Whatever. Here's the tweet. America will soon have a government that treats the climate crisis as the urgent national security threat that it is. And you and me, with all of this John Kerry climate change education, all of the facts that dropped into our front porch that shows that climate change is the end all to end all, right? One <laughs> percent of us, one percent of Americans agree with John Kerry and Joe Biden on climate change being the number one threat to mankind. Daniel Turner, <laughs> this is this is comical. If it wasn't costing us so much money and so much consternation, I could just belly buster laugh about this. But I can't because this is really a big deal. There are some really smart people that got sucked up into this lie, and it's nothing but a lie. And they're ultimately, it, it should, everybody should stop talking about climate change when you get to this one thing. And I, I, I could just stop telling you about his trip over there. And I may just do that, but I'm going to tell you what this one thing is. We all should stop right here. By the end of this century, the climate change activists all across the world, they came up with a most amazing plan. What is the goal, the objective? What do we want to have done worldwide with our climate? And all the work that we're going to do for the next three quarters of a century. What do we want to have done? Listen closely. This will, I mean, you'll tingle all over your body when you hear what they're going to do. They're going 
with all of these trillions, tens of trillions, trillions. There are quadrillions of dollars that it will take between now and the end of the century. That's what they tell us. They want to reduce the average temperature on the planet by the end of this century. Wow, that's a great idea, especially now. I mean, it's 104 where I live. You know how much they want to use all this money to drop that temperature? One and a half degrees. One and a half degrees. Daniel Turner, who's the executive director of Power the Future. That sounds real. He summed up it, he summed it up pretty well when he said this the problem with folks like John Kerry and the climate hypocrites who run this green movement is that they want to use coercive power of government. They want to use it internationally with groups like the United Nations, etc. They want to use the power of government to deny the rest of us the ability of those fossil fuels that they take for granted. They refuse to voluntarily live how they want the rest of us to be forced to live, he went on. It didn't just make them hypocrites. It makes them, quite frankly, a threat to the rights and freedoms of people around the world. When John Kerry voluntarily lives the way he wants the rest of us to be, then we can talk about his climate goals. At this point, will Kerry and all of the world leaders who care about climate change ever jump on a Zoom call? (laughs) I don't even think they know what Zoom is. But it seems this gathering of these brilliant, very wealthy, very connected, very educated, very intellectual people, this group is comprised entirely of hypocrites. They want to hinder the prosperity of anybody that's not among their inner circles at the UN Climate Change Acting Executive Secretary Ibrahim Thal bemoaned the continued use of reliable and traditionally affordable energy. It's troubling to observe some nations returning to the embrace of fossil fuels, he lamented. Well, countries are doing that, Mr. Thal. You know why? because the green energy crap that you have forced on them through their different national governments isn't working. It will not power their lives. And if it does right now in the circumstances that they all live in, they can't afford it. Novel idea. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that we are living in a world where people like John Kerry have important positions, and although not elected to anything, Joe Biden appointed him. A guy that he married up, way, 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 way up. He married Teresa Johns Kerry. What's that? Teresa Hines Kerry, Hines Ketchup, that fortune. She owns it. So he did pretty well. He doesn't have to live down where you and I live. So he's enlightened. He's endowed. He's smarter than you. He's better than you. And he doesn't give a rip what goes on in your life. You have got to shut up and get in line. That's exactly what's going on. Well, since we're on the climate crap, 
let's just segue over to these electric car things. And this is just growing every single day. And it gets louder and it gets stupider. Is that a good word? Stupider? Dumber? I don't know what. But I, I'm, I want you to listen to a congressional hearing in which Pete Buttigieg, Secretary of Transportation for Joe Biden, Mr. Electric Car, Mr. You got to listen to me. I'm a brilliant politician and leader. I did a horrible job in that little town in northern Indiana when I was mayor there, but it qualified for me to first run for president and get my butt kicked, and then I begged my way into Joe Biden's administration. I'm in his cabinet. Oh, my gosh. Secretary of Transportation, I'm going to convert this entire country to electric-powered vehicles. Listen to Mayor Pete when he gets confronted with uh, some facts. Uh, Representative Massey. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Secretary Buttigieg, I've been driving an electric car for 10 years, and I've had solar panels for 15 years, and I'm really bullish on technology and the way it could help make our country energy independent or more energy independent, but I'm really alarmed at sort of the naivete of those who are promoting rapid adoption of these technologies with our existing infrastructure. President Biden signed a non-binding executive order stating that 50% of of vehicles sold in the United States should be electric by 2030. Do you support that? Yes. And he also said that by 2035 that uh, 100% of the federal fleet, federal government fleet should be electric. Do you support that? Yes. So, Which uses more electricity? We're talking about residential electricity here. A refrigerator when it's running or an electric car when it's charging in your garage? I would expect a car. Uh, Would you say it uses twice as much or 25 times as much? I would think closer to 25 times as much. It's it's actually 50 uh, at the instantaneous moment, Mm -hmm. but over the course of a year, If I take the numbers from the U.S. Department of Energy about the average household, how many vehicles they own and how far they drive, over the course of a year, uh, an American household would use 25 times as much electricity for their electric car as they would for their refrigerator uh, if they had 100% adoption. If, If the average family has two vehicles, and this would be if the average family had two electric vehicles. Do you think it would strain the grid if everybody plugged in 25 refrigerators in every household? Well, if we didn't make any upgrades to the grid, sure. I mean, if we had yesterday's grid with tomorrow's cars, it's not going to work. It's one of the reasons why we believe that infrastructure includes electrical infrastructure and argued for that to be included, as it thankfully was in the bipartisan law. Do you you think by 2030, which is when Biden says 50% of uh, cars sold should be electric, do you think the grid will be capable of handling electric cars? It's going to need to be, and we're working with the Department of Energy every day. We've established a joint office of energy and transportation to map out some of the needs. Obviously, some of this gets outside of my lane, and we've been discussing with, uh, for example, the truck stops that are uh, looking at what their power needs would need to be at an interchange where today uh, they're, you know, they're mainly filling up on gas in order to accommodate that. And then, as you mentioned, a lot of the scenario for this is also residential. 
but it's also worth pointing out that uh, while a typical driver uh, who adopts electric is using more electricity, at the end of the day, they're using less energy because of the efficiency benefits of getting that energy produced at utility. The problem is we don't, we don't have, have the capacity to produce that energy. You aptly use the word need. You could say want as well. It, there's needs and wants to make this fantasy work by 2030. But the reality is the capability is not going to be there. The average uh, household uses 17% of their electricity for air conditioning. And um, that would mean the average household uses 1,870 kilowatt hours per year for air conditioning. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it will well, let be me help less you. Let me help you overall. with that first before we go on because the numbers are important. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. Do you think that could be... So if we reach the goal by 2030 that Biden has of, of 50% adoption instead of 100% adoption, that means the average household would use twice as much electricity charging one of their cars as they would use for all of the air conditioning that they use for the entire year. Do you think this could contribute to rolling uh, blackouts and brownouts in areas of the country where air conditioning is basically considered essential? Not if we prepare. Look, the fact that people who have electric vehicles are going to use more electricity can't be a reason to give up. The idea that America is inferior to the other countries that have figured this out just doesn't sit well with us in administration, I'm, and that's I'm not why saying, we're investing I, in a better I, grid. In the time that I have left, let me say, uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't prepare. I told you at the beginning of this, I'm bullish on, on this technology, but the, the numbers and the rate of adoption has been developed using political science, not engineering. They're impractical, and if we blindly follow these goals that Biden has set out, it will cause pain and suffering for the middle class. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I have a local example of what would have to happen if this city that I live in, Shreveport, Louisiana, which has somewhere between 100 and 150,000 residents, there's actually been an electric grid analysis of what it would take to meet Joe Biden's 2030 objective. But let me just go back up to the 10,000-foot level with you. If electric car, there's a couple of things to consider that even go beyond what Secretary Pete, Mayor Pete, had to say there. Here's one of them. If electric cars don't use gasoline, which they don't, they're not going to participate in paying a gas tax on every gallon that is sold for automobiles. That was enacted some years ago. Why? To help us maintain our roads and bridges. They'll use the roads, but they're not going to pay for their maintenance, the road maintenance. Unless, of course, the federal government, they'll fix that. They'll come up with an electric car tax. So, in case you're contemplating buying a hybrid or an electric car, every since the advent of electric cars, the real cost per mile of those things, nobody's ever talked about it. All you've ever heard was the miles per gallon in terms of gasoline with not even a mention of the cost 
of electricity to run it. You just heard about running your air conditioner as compared to an electric car. Electricity has to be one of the least efficient ways to power things, yet it's being shoved down our throats. Somebody finally put some engineering and math to paper. So we got together with one hydro executive, an electrical scientist. He was asked that renewable thing was doing. How was it going to work out? He laughed. If you really intend to adopt electric vehicles, this scientist pointed this out. You got to face certain realities. For example, a home charging system for a Tesla requires 75 amp service. That's already a fact. The average house is equipped with 100 amp service. On my little small street here in Shreveport, Louisiana, approximately 25 homes, the electrical infrastructure would not be able to carry more than three houses with a single Tesla each. So what about the other 22 houses on my street alone? For even half the homes to have electric vehicles, the system would be totally overloaded and it wouldn't work. This is the elephant, folks, in the room regarding electric vehicles. Our infrastructure, our residential infrastructure, cannot bear the load. So as our elected officials promote this nonsense, like Mayor Pete, not only are we being urged to buy these things and replace our reliable, cheap generating systems with expensive new windmills and solar cells, we'll also have to renovate our entire electric delivery system from top to bottom. I'm talking about the electronic grid in every square inch of the nation. This latter little investment, they're not going to even talk about it until we're so far down the dead-end road that it's going to come up with an oops and a shrug when it's revealed. If you want to argue with a green person over cars that are eco-friendly, here's some thought. This scientist, I'll just give you his first name, Eric, test drove a Chevy Volt at the invitation of GM. And here's what he wrote after he test drove that car. For four days in a row, the fully charged battery lasted only 25 miles before the Chevy Volt switched to the reserve gasoline engine. Eric, the scientist, calculated the car got 30 miles per gallon, and that includes the 25 miles it ran on the battery. So the range, including that 9-gallon gas tank and the 16-kilowatt-hour battery, is approximately 270 miles. That sounds okay. But listen to this. It's going to take you four and a half hours to drive 270 miles at 60 miles per hour. Then you add 10 hours to charge the battery. That's part of the trip, right? you got to stop, charge the battery. You add all that together, you've got a total trip time of 14 and a half hours. In a typical road trip, your average speed, including charging time, would be an effective 20 miles per hour to get from point A to point B. That's going 270 miles. 270 miles. In comparison for me to understand and sense it, 
There's a town of Minden, Louisiana. It's about 30 miles east of here. That's about 270 miles from Minden to Fort Worth, Texas. All on interstate, 270 miles. Based on what you just heard in the Chevy Volt, (laughs) it would take 10 hours to charge the battery and then the driving time to get there. Average miles per hour, 20. I drive to Fort Worth all the time. Our son and daughter-in-law live in Fort Worth. Takes me three and a half hours. This would be a 10 hours plus the actual drive time. According to GM, the Volt battery holds 16 kilowatt hours of electricity. Takes a full 10 hours to charge a drain battery. The cost for the electricity to charge that Volt is never mentioned. So we looked it up. Right here in Shrevesville, I pay approximately, it varies with the amount used in the seasons. I pay about $1.16 per kilowatt hour. 16 kilowatts times $1.16 per kilowatt, that's $18.50 to charge the battery. So $18.50 to charge divided by 25 miles, that equals 74 cents a mile to operate the Volt using the battery. You compare this to a similar sized car with a gas engine that gets only 32 miles per gallon. That's $3.19 per gallon divided by 32 miles per gallon. That means it costs 10 cents a mile to drive the gas car. Now that gas car, if you bought it, pays about cost about 25 grand. Chevy Volt, best deal you can get today, $46,000. So the Canadian government They have put all of this together, and they've given it to their people to consider. U.S. government? Not a peep, right? Not a peep. This is insane. Here is what I told you I would tell you. The cost of upgrading the infrastructure, electrical grid in Shreveport, Louisiana, population between $100,000 and $150,000. That would mean we're talking about putting at least one electric car in every garage, every garage that's now driving gasoline. Let's just assume everybody can buy one car. Just with normal consumption of electricity, adding in the cars, adding in the electrical power that's got to be increased in every one of those homes, $5 billion in a town of less than 160,000 people. Multiply that by what we have around the nation, and I think you can understand. I've been saying this from the very beginning. Ask anybody and everybody in government that promotes climate change, electric vehicles to you, ask every one of them when they do it. What about the infrastructure? And they'll tell you, oh, we spent, we got all this money. We're upgrading the grid, doing all this kind of stuff. Well, how's it going? When will every car in America have the ability to have a charging station in their garage for that one electric vehicle they're going to have? How long is that going to happen, take to happen? Well, we don't know. Here's the problem. This is where it should begin and end. 
There is no plan. Literally, Joe Biden, all the climate activists, including John Kerry, and a bunch of other big-time leaders in Washington, every one of them, almost without exception, is a Democrat. They don't have a plan. They think once they have all the power that they're trying to seize from you and me with all of these egregious rules and lockdowns, executive orders, they think we'll be so far down the road that they'll just say, whoops, we couldn't do it. So here's what we've got to do. We've got to tax you another trillion or two trillion a year. Because now we've opened that door. We've got to go ahead and finish it. Sorry, folks. That's the way it's going to be. Now, what are we having for dinner tonight? That's literally how they look at this. It's always one set of rules for them, another set of rules for Americans. But, oh, by the way, Americans pay 100% of the bill for everything. They just get the ride, and they ride at our expense. Any politician, state, local, federal, that you talk to about this, get in their faces and say, where's the plan? Tell me about the engineering people that have put the plan together. They're not in this conversation. They don't want facts out there because if you get facts out there, this is going to go away because it simply does not work. Holidays abroad. Can we, can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a year. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. <laughs> we've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart-to-heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Ah! Hey, I'm dead. Those are good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60. Take on life in style. 
Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The Truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org Never think you are in the clear. Just know this. They're taking your freedoms one little bitty piece at a time while we don't even really pay attention to it until it's too late. Well, I guess you heard the only way you ever get in trouble if you go into the Capitol uninvited is if you're a Democrat or if you're Stephen Colbert's staff member. You know the story about all those staff members that slipped into the U.S. Capitol complex. They broke the law. They had no permission to do it. They weren't invited in after hours. Seven of them got arrested. Well, guess what? Excuse me, nine of them got arrested. Guess what? Charges dropped against those nine. Stephen Colbert's gang, after a comprehensive review of all the evidence we're told and the relevant legal authority, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia has determined it cannot move forward with misdemeanor charges of unlawful entry against those nine individuals who got arrested on June 16th at the Longworth Office Building. The individuals who entered on two separate occasions were invited by congressional staffers to enter the building in each instance and were never asked to leave by the staffers who invited them, though members of the group had been told at various points by the U.S. Capitol Police that they were supposed to have an escort. The office would be required to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these invited guests were guilty of the crime of unlawful entry because their escort chose to leave them unattended. We do not believe it is probable that the office would be able to obtain and sustain convictions on these charges. Yada, 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 yada. So because they're Stephen Colbert's gang, they get off. Meanwhile, one guy, there's more than one, but one guy, the one that we told you about last Friday when Steve Baker was here, the photojournalist, and he detailed what he documented that day, one guy that stepped over the barrier that was outside and was waved in by Capitol Police officers to go inside the Capitol. He was invited to go in. He's been in prison for 17 months, no trial. What's the difference between him and Stephen Colbert's staff? Well, it's the fact that they're staff members of a heavyweight entertainer from Hollywood. Stephen Colbert, that's all that matters. They all have D's after their name. They're Democrats. You think this is all just happenstance, that this is just a little bitty thing? Oh, it's a blip on the radar screen. Well, it may be a blip on the radar screen, but there are so many just like it that are on that radar screen. We're getting all taken to the cleaners by these hardcore leftists that are cramming their ideals down the throats of each American. And in many cases, we don't even know about it. And of course, when they don't get their way, when Joe Manchin stands up and he says, I am not going to sign off on another near trillion dollar spending bill when we have inflation out the wazoo. I'm not going to agree to any bill to spend that kind of money 
until we know what the outcome is going to be. It's just too early to do that. He basically, single-handedly, as a Democrat, would have to vote to allow that bill to come to the floor of the Senate where it would pass because no other Democrat is going to stand up and vote the other way. It's called a filibuster. That's what the Republicans would do to keep it from coming up. It would take one Democrat like Senator Manchin to agree to it. They just need that one. After dusting off that year-old piece of legislation, Democrat-controlled Congress, they had a press conference on Monday, and they renewed their radical push for, guess what? Court-packing declaring we were in control, so let's act like it. They look at this four seats to add to the Supreme Court as a way that they can totally control the Supreme Court, totally control Congress and Joe Manchin, and those like him just become insignificant. In April of 2021, Representative Hank Johnson of Georgia, he introduced the Judiciary Act of 2021, setting out to make one change to Section 1 of Title 28 of the Constitution and the laws that are contained within it. Instead of accounting for eight associate justices in addition to the Chief Justice, Johnson and his co-sponsors, who are New York Democrats Representative Jerry Mad, uh, at, I said Madler, Jerry Nadler and Mondaire Jones, they sought to expand the court to a total of 13 justices. With the support of the Progressive Take Back the Court Action Fund, follow the money, and ready-made signs pulled out of storage, Johnson was flanked by other left-wing ideologues as he attempted to twist the meaning of packing to include the process of filling vacancies on the bench. Now, let me tell you about Hank Johnson. Now, remember, he's a Democrat from Georgia. He's in the House of Representatives. He's the guy that about, I don't know, five or six years ago, they had a member of the military that was before them in a hearing, and they were talking about spending money on Guam, on the military base that was there, adding a big piece of infrastructure to our military base there. Hank Johnson's the one that asked this member of the military, the conversation kind of went like this. Um, Hank Johnson talking to it was a general, general whatever. General. Now, Guam is an island, isn't it? Uh, yes, sir, it is. How big is Guam? Well, and I don't even remember the exact measurements, but it, it, it went kind of like this. The mile's about two miles long. Well, how wide is it? It's about a half a mile wide. And so, do you have any idea what weight would be added with this infrastructure that you're proposing we approve? And of course, the general said, sir, I don't know, and I don't understand why that would matter. Johnson again, he says, well, you do know, general, this military base is on one end of the island, and if we put too much more weight there, it's going to flip the island of Guam over. He really said that. He really thought that. He really meant that. This is one of those 435 brain surgeons 
that occupy those seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, these are the ones that make the laws that we have to choke down every day watching our nation being pulled apart for nothing, no good reasons other than political power grabbing. So there's another one of these brain surgeons in Congress. She goes by AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's among um, a group of those squad members that were arrested outside the Supreme Court during the Roe v. Wade protest yesterday. And she was seen, this, this has made front page news all around the world. She was seen walking, escorted away by the police, but she knew she was on camera. What she did, she put her hands around behind her back. She wanted it to appear that she was in handcuffs. Others that were arrested included representatives Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Cori Bush, Bonnie Watson Coleman, and Catherine Clark. Total of 34 arrests, 16 of them members of Congress, were made at the demonstration yesterday. That's according to the Capitol Police. So this is another case of pure symbolism over substance. Why would AOC want people to think that she was handcuffed? Why would she do that? We'll get into that in a minute. Here's more about uh, what happened to those that got arrested. Well, welcome back. Well, 17 House Democrats were arrested yesterday outside of the Supreme Court during a pro-abortion protest. Protesting in front of the highest court is not illegal, but blocking the street between the Supreme Court and the Capitol is illegal. Members of the squad turning the protest into a spectacle yesterday with Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez pretending that she was handcuffed. Uh, all for show, uh, before uh, pumping her fist to a crowd of cheering supporters. She's putting her hands behind her back as if she's handcuffed. There were no handcuffs to be seen. Joining me right now is former Georgia Congressman and former Judiciary Committee ranking member, Doug Collins. Doug, it's great to see you this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Good morning, Maria. It's good to be with you as well. So I guess putting your hands behind your back as if you have handcuffs <laughs> makes it look better. <laughs> it's more dramatic. Well, I thought the whole thing was set up. I think the whole thing was set up very well, Maria. We had the we had the nice scarf, makeup, and hair did well. We uh, we broke rank only one time. I thought she probably could have got the best actress award if she hadn't have just broke that that moment when she had to put the fist up and then put it real quickly back. But other than that, you know, it was a made-for-TV moment for uh, for you know just no purpose at all. Well, it's really what, sad. What is my, the My point? former colleague John. That, it's just sad, you know. It, the point is just to bring attention to myself. I have to say this. AOC is one, and the squad are the best at one thing, self-promotion. That's, that's all this was about. Is it the, I guess the attention wasn't on them enough to, uh, lately, so they decided to go out and get you know, basically fake arrests to make sure their photos, uh, you know, mug shots look good. Yeah, I mean, the Biden administration uh, continuing to carry on the green energy push. Kentucky Congressman uh, Thomas Massey questioned Transportation Secretary Buttigieg about the real cost to Americans, though, yesterday. Watch this. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. The fact that people who have electric vehicles 
are going to use more electricity can't be a reason to give up. Doug, do you think that the transportation secretary understands the energy needs, to, depending on what we're talking about here? No, I don't think he does. And if you watch that, uh, a lot of that hearing yesterday, it, when he got pushed, and, and Thomas uh, pushed him very well and gave him just facts. And I think that's the thing that scares this administration the most is facts about the agenda that they're trying to push. He got to a point, if you notice, he would talk about transportation. And then when he got to the point where he didn't really understand the grid and how much was there, he would say, well, that's not all of my part. That's other departments. We're only doing our part. And I think this is the part that's really concerning to me is they're pushing the pain that people are feeling right now to make change. And they're in there. He's hiding. He's trying to not say it. But that's exactly what's happening here. He, they don't understand what they're asking for. And they're making the American people pay for it. And that's the problem that this uh, you've said it all morning. This is just a, a, a 10 year uh, administration. that doesn't seem to want to understand what's actually going on around them. James. Uh, Congressman, uh, how much do you think the president, I guess you would say how much harm uh, people on the left would say, how much progress can the president uh, get done with administrative action now since he can't get his climate bill through the Senate? Very little. And I think that's especially in light of the recent court decision uh, out of West Virginia, which actually brought it back into Congress, actually having to do its job as far as deciding what happens in these with these bigger packages like the Clean Air Act and others. I mean, there will be things that he'll be able to do around the edges, but not uh, not what they're planning and not what they have promised the American people. So I think what we're going to see here is a stalemate. But it's also leading from, a, I think, the perspective coming November, it'll almost be next to nothing getting through Congress. So this is whatever they do, they're going to try to do it now. And that's why you're seeing so, so many bills going through to at least attempt to show that they're doing something. Well, that's interesting to me, Congressman. You know, is there a specific number? You know, in the business world, there's a number at which a leader reverses course or seeks new counsel or fresh opinion. Is there a number that's going around on the Hill where you say the administration potentially reverses course? No, I don't think there is. Because if you would have seen this, look, we've been 18 months of this. I mean, it's 18 months of one disaster after another disaster after another disaster, PR-wise and reality-wise, and they don't seem to want to change. There's, It's just a continuation of the same. Then they, the only thing they get good at is finding somebody else to blame. And I think that's become the real problem that the American people are seeing is what I'm seeing. And also the, the really the agenda. And if you talk to Democrats offline, off the hill, they are this. I've never seen a party so frustrated with the, their own president sitting in the White House. Uh, well, Doug, listen, you are now out of Congress. I have a job idea for you. Uh, I think perhaps uh, you should go educate these 15, 16 members uh, that were fake arrested or, or <laughs> fake handcuffs yesterday. Teach them about civics um, and how the legislative body works and uh, how they can actually pass laws if they want to affect change. I don't know about you, but I think maybe that's a good job for you next. You've, you've actually hit the biggest problem in Congress right now. There are too many people who go to Congress and forget that their title is legislator instead of YouTube star. YouTube star. That's exactly why AOC did the little farce walking away after she was arrested for interrupting business in front of the Supreme Court with her hands behind her back like she was handcuffed. It's all symbolism over substance. It's a game to them. And then it turns into, well, I kind of like this. I kind of like being able to have the power that I have now. I want more of it. How do I get more of it? I make myself more important. Whether or not I really am is insignificant. I have TikTok. I have Twitter. I have Facebook. And I've got this group of people out there that like me just because of who I am or what they think I am. 
and I've got them in my pocket. I can tell them anything and they'll believe it just because I'm telling it to them. That was the purpose of the handcuff thing. It was, she knew that it wasn't going to be broadcasted worldwide, that it was, it was a farce. Most of her people, they watch the first 10 seconds of anything that includes their video star, AOC. And in the first 10 seconds, she looked to be handcuffed. That's all it takes. They make their choices, their decisions in their lives on what they're going to support, what they believe or not, based on 10 to 15 seconds. That's the world in which we live. It's all about, give me the sound bites. Give me the executive summary. Just tell me what it is. I don't want to take time to understand and go through all of the processes, machinations that you have to go through to figure something out. Just cut to the end of the story. Tell me how the movie ends. And that's the way our nation is being governed today. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. In a chainsaw. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. Looking ahead to the back half of this week, I want to I want to give you a little inside scoop. Make plans to be here Friday morning. You don't want to miss the show Friday morning. Richard Hirsch will be on the show live. Who the heck is Richard Hirsch? Well, he's not one of these big internet or congressional stars that you see on television all the time. No, he's not. Let me tell you who he is. He is someone a very educated, very qualified, and very certified person working in a segment of our healthcare system. And I'm not going to go into any details, but he 
and thousands, maybe ten thousands of others in the same line of work as he is in around the world are finding something that is particular strategic to those who die that have COVID-19. And it's being covered up. And the reason he's not coming until Friday is there are some additional laboratory tests that are being done by the very best of the best in medical laboratory, especially dealing with this on the planet. And he wants to wait until that laboratory result report comes in, which he's expecting it today or tomorrow. He will be with us Friday morning in our first hour. Richard Hirsch, you don't want to miss this guy. I spent about, gosh, 45 minutes, maybe an hour on the phone with him yesterday. You're going to love hearing him. Besides the fact that he brings news to us, factual news that he brings with factual evidence. Isn't that novel? (laughs) Remember Fauci told us, follow the science, follow the science. And then when we confronted him because the science he was telling us to follow wasn't working out, wasn't true. And he said, I'm the science. In other words, forget about anything else anybody said. If it disagrees with me, you always got to agree with me. I'm the science. (laughs) People like that, they just reveal who they are. If you just listen to them, they'll stick their foot, maybe both of them in their mouths, just in conversation. Well, we heard about the attempting going on right now to pack the Supreme Court. In addition to that, I just want to let you know your your United States Congress is hard at work yesterday. They passed a bill to codify same-sex and interracial marriages. Wow. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy all over? I thought it was already. Um, I thought it was already done. I thought same-sex marriage was okay, legal. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Anyway, I guess the big thing about this bill that passed, 47 Republicans in the House voted for it, and that is what their plans are, is to redefine the family. Pelosi truly let her hypocrisy sign yesterday as she tried to level some accusations of the same on the former congressman behind the Defense of Marriage Act, arguing we don't know what marriage he was defending. The House held a vote yesterday on the Respect for Marriage Act as Democrats tried to prove to their base they won't let Oberfell v. Hodges be overturned like Roe v. Wade was. With a vote of 267 to 157 that included 47 Republicans siding with Democrats, the bill that provides statutory authority for same-sex and interracial marriage. It passed. So what, what, what's the big faller all about it? Well, ahead of the vote, Pelosi made some comments on the bill that repeals and replaces provisions that define, for purposes of federal law, marriage as between a man and a woman and spouse as a person of the opposite sex with provisions that recognize any marriage that is valid under state law and requires states to recognize 
same-sex marriages from other states. And that would essentially codify Obergefell. As radical justices and right-wing politicians continued their assault on our basic rights, this is Nancy demeaning the Supreme Court. She said Democrats believe the government has no place between you and the person you love. She claimed ahead of that vote that sought to ensure the government would remain a party in every marriage and, as the Daily Wire's Michael Knowles said, would redefine the family in a way that virtually everyone, including Obama, considered unthinkably radical just over a decade ago. Wow, how things change in 10 years, right? Pelosi could not limit herself to just one hypocrisy for the day. She saw fit to attack former Representative Bob Barr, Republican from Georgia, who was responsible for that Defensive Marriage Act back in 96, which was signed into law by Bill Clinton of all people. So after lauding her colleagues for their efforts to repeal the Defensive Marriage Act, more than a decade earlier, she quipped this, quote, defensive marriage proposed by somebody who had been married three times. We don't know which marriage he was defending. Of course, she was referencing Bob Barr. By the way, she quickly added, I don't care how many times somebody's married. I care about how they try to impose their hypocrisy on other people. Well, if she truly cared about that back then, as the devout Catholic that she claims to be, she wouldn't be trying to push through legislation that would impose her worldview on states that have sought to protect the sanctity of marriage. Nor would she seek to belittle those whose views are not nearly as radical as her own. The late Justice Antonin Scalia addressed this specifically in his 2013 dissent of the Supreme Court's ruling that struck down DOMA, Defense of Marriage Act, when he wrote, to be sure, as the majority points out, the legislation is called the Defense of Marriage Act. But to defend traditional marriage is not to condemn, demean, or humiliate those who would prefer other arrangements any more than to defend the Constitution of the United States is to condemn, demean, or humiliate other constitutions. In the majority's judgment, he said, any resistance to its holding is beyond the pale of reasoned disagreement. To question its high-handed invalidation of a presumptively valid statute is to act, the majority is sure, with the purpose to disparage, injure, degrade, demean, and humiliate our fellow human beings, our fellow citizens, who are gay. All that simply for supporting an act that did no more than codify an aspect of marriage that had been unquestioned in our society for most of its existence, indeed had been unquestioned in virtually all societies in human history, he added. And then he ended with this. It's one thing for a society to elect change. It's another for a court of law to impose change by adjudging those who oppose it, hostus humani generis, enemies of the human race. So as it stands right now, Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, 
had suggested that the bill will likely not have a vote in the Senate anytime soon, stating, we have more priorities than we have time. Let me ask you this. So why would they go through this in the House? Why would they waste a day and a half or two days dealing with this when they knew there is no chance that it's even going to be taken up? Mitch McConnell is going to fight it even coming to the floor to even be discussed, yet alone considered to be passed in the Senate. I think you know the answer to that without me saying it. It's simply for show so that they can point back to what they did, what they tried to get done, and go out and raise money. You've got to help us. We can't get through these Republicans that don't want to come along the ride with us who are endowed with more knowledge, more understanding, and more righteousness. We know what's best for the American people. Instead of just falling in line with what they forced others of opposite understanding and beliefs, they forced them for decades to come along when the opposite side is in charge. To be completely honest with you, when Republicans have had majorities in either both or one of the houses in Congress, it's not nearly like it is now. Republicans don't bash opponents in thought over the head about everything. They don't demean them. They don't diminish who they are. They don't diminish the fact that they represent people in their districts that want certain positions to be acted upon just like Americans that live in the states and congressional districts that Republicans represent. It's no different. Told you for years. The difference between a Democrat and a Republican. When a Republican comes to you and you're of an opposite thought process and they talk to you about a specific issue and they tell you what their opinion is and you disagree with them. You say, no, I don't think that's right. Republicans typically will look at you and say, okay, we can just agree to disagree. They'll turn around, on the most part, and walk away. Democrats, when they come to you on a specific issue and they talk to a conservative trying to convert that conservative to their line of thinking and they find out at the end of it all that conservative says the same thing that Democrat I just told you about said. No, I don't think that's right. I don't agree with it. Oh my gosh. It's like hell rains down on the heads of the person that disagrees with that Democrat. First of all, you're evil. Secondly, you're a homophobe. You're a racist. Uh, You're an elitist. You're a MAGA, a super MAGA person. Whatever degrading name they can come up for you, they throw it your way. And they don't just do it to your face. They do it all around you. They're going to diminish anything that you say or try to no matter if what you say is factual. Why is that? They're the only ones, they think, that have the right answers for anything and for everything. Don't disagree with them. You're toast if you do. Toast if you do. So let's kind of circle back and talk for a minute about some of our energy problems. I know we have them. Mayor Pete hadn't got it quite fixed yet. He's got the plan. You heard about his plan. But it's still a problem for us all. Diesel fuel, that's really, really a big deal. And it's even getting bigger now. Farmers, 
truckers, you know, those people who supply us with all of our essential needs, got to have diesel. And its price has skyrocketed like never before, driven by Bidenflation. And it's stripping, outstripping regular gasoline in price hikes. Diesel fuel was averaging $5.52 a gallon nationally day before yesterday. That's up a dizzying 68% from just a year ago when it was selling for $3.28 a gallon. By comparison, a gallon of gas is averaging $4.50. That's up 42% from a year ago. Gas prices the last, I guess, week or two have come down a bit. Diesel, though, has remained chronically high. Americans' refineries operating near capacity. Unless prices ease, the ripple effects of high diesel fuel is going to worsen because the costs are deterring some truck companies from even accepting jobs unless they can persuade their customers to bear the added cost of more expensive fuel. I mean, that's only the way it works. You don't make money if you end up in your cost for what you're selling, paying more than what you're selling it to is going to pay you. If you're a farmer, then your energy costs are higher. Therefore, it's costing more to produce grain. That's pushing the price of grain up. That's pushing the price of food up. It just makes sense. Even more than gasoline, elevated diesel prices are magnifying the cost of goods because the delivery cost has risen so much so quickly. Consumer prices soared 9.1% in June compared with 12 months earlier, and the overall link to fuel prices is evidence. High diesel costs elevate the prices of everyday goods since the higher cost of transportation, it's passed down to you and me and consumers. I mean, look at your grocery stores. Most big grocery stores in our in our town, we shop at principally Kroger, and they do restocking themselves three times a day. Now think about what it costs to get those restocking items into the store from wherever their distribution centers are. When those costs go up 10, 20, 30%, what's got to happen? The grocery company can't absorb that. The transportation trucking company can't absorb that. Who gets to pay that? You and me. Prices of everyday goods go up since the higher cost of transportation has got to be passed down to us. Then we restrain our spending habits at grocery and other retail stores because we run out of money. That slashes demand and it exacerbates an economic slowdown. Let me just predict this to you. If it doesn't happen during the month of July, during the month of August, we are finally going to have somebody that has the kahunas, that understands economics, that looks at where we are economically as a nation, and they're going to be honest with us and tell us, not only are we in a recession in the month of August, we've been in a recession for some time. What does that mean? As you probably, if you were here yesterday, you heard an explanation of what a recession looks like now and what feeds into a recession. And we don't fit exactly into that equation because circumstances are different in the world. Never mind. That doesn't matter. 
a recession is a recession, which means unemployment typically goes up, gross domestic product goes through the, the, the floor, nobody's working, nobody's producing anything, that makes prices go up, and it just continues to cycle around, and it just gets bigger and bigger and worse and worse. So in the middle of all of this, as we told you, the president's, he's got some executive action that he's going to bring to us that he feels very strongly that we need to do, and he's going to issue an executive order to that effect. Where is his vice president? Well, I'm not sure where she was yesterday, but Monday she addressed the NAACP convention. That's National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. I don't know why they won't change their at least one word in their title, NAACP, the C there, colored. Oh my gosh, you call somebody that's African-American or black today, you call them a colored person, they will slap the fire out of you and just immediately brand you as a racist. Anyway, in her speech to the convention, she claimed that the United States has a history of claiming ownership over human bodies. Listen to this. She was doing that in an argument advocating for women to make decisions, here we go, about their own bodies. It's important to note that to support a woman's ability, not her government, but her, to make that decision does not require anyone to abandon their faith or their beliefs, she said. It just requires us to agree the government shouldn't be making that decision for her. And think about it. For the first time in generations, the U.S. Supreme Court, the highest court of our land, the former court of Thurgood Marshall, she had to, of course, she's at the NAACP, she had to point to a former justice, Thurgood Marshall, who was African American. She said people of that court took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the people of America, from the women of America. We know in NAACP that our country has a history of claiming ownership over human bodies. And today, extremist so-called leaders are criminalizing doctors, punishing women from health care decisions for themselves. Personal decisions, that's her right to make in consultation with her doctor, her pastor, her priest, her rabbi, her loved ones, not her government telling her what to do. Kamala claimed leaders arguing abortion is a state's right issue or the same ones stripping away voting rights in their states. This is insane, folks. This is insane. There have been 13 states since 2020 that have passed new voter rules, voter laws, and the reason they did so was to shore up the problems that were so evident in the 2020 election. Georgia, oh my gosh, Georgia, their current gubernatorial candidate, I don't even want to say her name, you know who I'm talking about, she preached those Georgia voting laws that were passed after the 2020 election, when we get to 2022, oh my gosh, it's going to cut the ability for African American and other people of color to be able to get to the polls and vote. Well, in all of the primaries, folks, more people by more than 2 million voted in this cycle now 
in the primary elections in Georgia, more than 2 million people voted, then voted in 2020. When the Democrats had put their their little vote-by-mail thing out, which most of these states have outlawed or at least changed it. Stacey Abrams said that. I had to give you her name. Anyway, these so-called leaders, she said, Kamala, that, well, you know, we just think that this is a decision that should be made by the folks in the states. People in the states can vote on this. But at this moment, many of these same so-called leaders are the same ones who are passing laws to restrict the ability of people to vote. There is no law that's been passed. There's none that I know of that's been presented to restrict anybody to vote. What they're doing is making sure anybody and everybody who is legally registered to vote and is legally therefore able to vote, that they get to vote. But they only vote one time. Georgia, now she's still going to this. This this just blows my mind. I just told you. All this push led by Stacey Abrams in, in Georgia was proven to be false. But she brought this up. Georgia passed the Republican-led Election Integrity Act of 2021 to require voter ID and ban soliciting by handing out food and water to voters. Democrats and critics have labeled the legislation Jim and Crow 2.0 in reference to the voter suppression of African Americans in the pre-civil rights era. Fact checkers have debunked President Biden's claims that the law minimizes voting hours. That's in Georgia. And I told you about the additional voters that came out and cast their votes in Georgia under the new law. A Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, handing the right to regulate abortion back to the states. Associate Justice Samuel Alito argued the majority opinion there is no constitutional provision that protects a woman's right to an abortion. It's not in the Constitution. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That comes directly from Alito's majority opinion. They just hate the Constitution. They can't stand the Constitution. The Constitution, they think, and they feel strongly, it is the only thing that stands between them the powerful elites that run our government, that control everything, or they think they do, but they're trying hard to get it. They want it all. They want to be able to control anything and everything you can and can't do. They want to control how much you make and how much you get to keep, what you can do, what you can't do. And if you don't agree with them, they're going to do egregious things to you. And they really don't care about the rule of law. They don't care about representative government. They want everything their way, and they're not going to stop. Because truth matters. You're listening to TNN, the Truth News Network. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. 
We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks. So it's just gonna be that much more of a fun truck. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. You're standing against the tide of creeping insanity. One truth at a time. TNN. Don't, again, don't forget, make sure you're going to be very, very sure of being here Friday morning for our conversation, our two-hour get-together, because we've got a guy that uh, is bringing the goods information-wise, not conspiracy theories, not ideas, things that are statistically and in a laboratory proven to be resulting from COVID-19 vaccines. Hmm. Interesting. He'll be here in our first hour. We'll be able to tell you more about specific time. And the reason he's not coming before that is he's waiting for some additional laboratory test results that are supposed to be back in his hands today or tomorrow. We'll talk about it, period. He's got a bunch of already tested um, things to talk to us about. And he'll do that on Friday. Hopefully, he'll have this additional information. And since we're talking about medical things, uh, I know you're going to be excited about this. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they are now pushing some secret left-wing chats. Now, what the heck is this about? Well, once upon a time here in America... We parents had the right to raise our kids as we saw fit. But all that changed with the Supreme Court's ruling Troxel v. Granville in 2000. It granted the government the authority to decide some matters concerning child rearing. Hmm, did you know about that? I'd completely forgotten about it. Now it appears the CDC has decided to take matters into its own hands, effectively dismissing any parental control over their kids. So, suppose a kid wants to talk about sex, uh, about gender, sex change, drag. What does drag mean, Mom? The occult, astrology, or even political activity. In that case, the CDC... And, of course, they're doing this in coordination with that other entity out there that is so plugged in in the family, 
Planned Parenthood, they've developed a tool that your kids can access without you even knowing about it. The CDC LGBTQ Health Youth Resource page promotes a free service called Q Chat Space. Q is in quick. Q is in queer. The site tells kids the service is entirely confidential and notes that's what's said on the app stays on the app. The service is free to kids if you're between the ages of 13 and 19. The CDC describes it as a place for LGBTQ plus teens to talk about mature issues. But here's a kicker. It's completely hidden from you parents. The site even includes an omnipresent large button that visitors can click to quickly close the screen when mom or dad walk into the room and see your online activity. In addition, kids can choose to get discrete text messages that don't name or link back to the chat room. This is out there, folks. It's already been done. It's already been done. You need to look into it. You need to check in it. You've got to protect your kids. You've got to protect your kids from our own government. Oh, my gosh. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that the people that represent us with the ones that are being out there that are just attacking us and they're hiding? (laughs) They are hiding what's going on. Isn't it interesting that every few days, it's like a three, maybe a two-day, three-day cycle that the big news stories kind of all clump together and change. And stuff they talk to us about on Monday, they don't want us to even think about it. And so to keep us from thinking about it on Wednesday, they throw another couple of big bombs out there and all the news goes right there and we forget about the one before. What about our southern border? What about our southern border? We talk about it ad nauseum. You hear it all the time. Thank you for, I get texts and emails from people that are asking questions, making suggestions. Some we can allow to go public on our website, truthnewsnet.org in the comment section. Some we can't. Some, just to be honest with you, they don't want it to go there, but they want us here at Truth News Network to know about them. People are really concerned down there. But the the attention when the news media goes away from the southern border, it's like we get a, a little breathing room and we forget about what is happening while we're not doing anything about it. Representative John Katko, he's an activist out there. And he's an activist for a lot of reasons, but principally because of the law breaking that is going on that is purposely being allowed to continue by everybody in our federal government, in the Biden administration, in the security sector, in the law enforcement sector. We used to have a Department of Justice, FBI, that made sure all people abided by the laws in our land, especially our federal laws. But that's not what's happening today. 
Joining us now, Congressman John Katko. He's a ranking member of House Homeland Security. Congressman, it's always a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Uh, this story, we reported it yesterday. Where does the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas get his authority to do this? You're saying he's got a new policy that forces Congress to first basically file, I think he's saying, uh, signed privacy release waivers. You got to get them from criminal non-citizens accused of terror and assassination plots. And then you have to sit them, submit them to DHS before Congress can get information about these threats. Did we get that right? Is that right? Believe it or not, you did get that right. And we heard that from two specific cases. One was the plot to assassinate former President Bush, uh, utilizing people coming across the poor southwest border and by, by an illegal alien. And the other one was two illegal aliens in the United States who were plotting to uh, commit mass casualties at a July 4th fireworks celebration in Richmond, Virginia. So we, as we always do with the oversight, we just ask for information on those two incidents, how they got in the country, all the background information we always do. And the response we got was, we're not giving you jack unless you get waivers from the accused, which was a stunning thing to me. Now, they appear to already be starting to backpedal on this, but as of now, the fact remains, they told us we were not getting any information unless and until we get waivers from terrorists that are non-citizens in the United States. That what, is patently insane. What standing do they have to make the rules like this? I mean, you've got oversight and legislative responsibilities. What standing, what yeah. power, what authority does he have to do this? No, I, I don't know. The central core of what we do in Homeland Security and all the committees in Congress is oversight. And we can't have oversight because information is key. And if you don't have information, you can't do oversight. If you can't do oversight, we're not doing our job. And they basically told us uh, to go pound sand. And it really is symptomatic with this administration's larger, basically coddling and embracing the accused at the expense and the safety of, the, uh, of American citizens. And it's reprehensible. We might be able to get them to turn this one around, but it's just symptomatic of a much larger problem that we're deal with, dealing with with this administration. Did you get the details of what Representative Katko has said is going on under Alejandro Mayorkas? When these terrorists are caught at the southern border and they brag, we caught these this many terrorists that are on the terrorist watch list, we stopped them. But they don't ever even mention the fact that this is just the group that we caught. We don't know how many other ones we did, but let's just talk about the ones they caught. And so what happens? The Department of Homeland Security, they're over our border patrol down there. That's Mayorkas's division that he is over. And so they are telling members of Congress that are wanting the information on those terrorists. They want to know all about those terrorists. They are now telling those members of Congress, we're not going to give you anything on these people unless and until you get those terrorists to sign a release authorizing us to give you that information on those terrorists. Is that not the most insane thing in government that you have heard? I mean, I can't even imagine a president of the United States saying that. Alejandro Mayorkas? Listen. You know how I feel about him and how he operates and functions. You know how I feel about Joe Biden even appointing him and getting him to lead this organization 
and then to just every day forget about enforcing federal immigration laws that are rampant. I mean, I could give you a list of laws that have been in place for many years, many of who were voted on and Joe Biden supported when he was in the Senate. And all of a sudden, the president lets a member of his cabinet, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, to just let these people come through. Don't stop them. Don't put them in uh, in line to be prosecuted for their violations of federal law just by being here. They just don't do that anymore. If, if the Republican Party takes the House and the Senate, even if they just get the House, if they don't immediately take actions, file articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas, I can tell you, if we can't get that done, we are dead meat. If we can't do a simple thing, like enforce laws, if we can't get the people that work for us that when they were nominated and they accepted that nomination, they swore an oath to protect and defend the laws of the Constitution of the United States, if they won't do that and we let them get away without doing their jobs that happen to be about enforcing the laws that are passed, we don't have a government. We don't have a country. In fact, Mayorkas doesn't want us to have any borders. He literally wants us to do away with our borders and just let people come and go. We don't have any idea who's there. We don't know who's here. We don't know anything about the ones that are here. Kellyanne Conway yesterday, she shredded President Biden. You know, sometimes, have you noticed when she does an interview, she gets very long-winded, and when someone's trying to guide her, a reporter is trying to guide her through a conversation, she dominates it and she pushes through. She likes to hold on to the, uh, the whole narrative of the conversation, but she's really educated on government matters in D.C. She shredded Biden yesterday over his age and his cognitive Abilities is the term that was used, but I would say cognitive disabilities. She said the White House has turned into an assisted living facility. And she mentioned that his polls obviously are cratering. She made the comments on Jesse Waters' primetime show yesterday on uh, Fox News. She and Waters dug into Biden's low poll numbers. I mean, he's dead fish. He's easy to talk about his waning support among Americans on both sides of the aisle, but especially she got into the Democrat loss of support he is feeling right now. Jesse pointed out that California Governor Gavin Newsom visited the White House while Biden was over there in Europe in the Middle East. While he was, the president was unsuccessfully begging for oil from the Saudis, it looks like Newsom was in D.C. at the cap. Uh, excuse me, the White House measuring the curtains. <laughs> Jesse Waters theorized the Democrat Party's in a, a mutiny, smelling weakness. Waters believes they are lining up to push Joe out. Democrats in the media are shopping around for a replacement 
Foreign leaders are disrespecting him. Even his own wife is talking about his presidency in the past tense. Jesse asked Kellyanne Conway if she thinks the situation's going to get any worse, a question you should never, ever ask, and she quickly replied, absolutely, it'll get worse. We're only a year and a half into this. Jill Biden is whining. Joe Biden isn't whining. And what we did get for his latest trip abroad, Jesse, no oil, no American jobs based on the oil. Now, look, the polls are a disaster. We know that. The media polls all the people who pushed him to be president. Their polls are a disaster. The real numbers that are hurting Joe... $10 trillion lost in the stock market. The fact that about 4 million people have crossed the southern border illegally on his watch. The fact that we have fentanyl at the number one killer of 18 to 49-year-olds here in the U.S. Biden's got, I mean, an entire life of experience in the U.S. Senate. And then a little more, a little different, but a little more, eight years as vice president. He should have been the person most prepared for the presidency. But I think we all know now, if anybody questioned, it's not looking that way. He's botched things so badly that his own party can't wait to get rid of him. Right now, she said, the White House functions like an assisted living facility. It's no longer funny, no longer fair to us in America. We deserve a president and a commander-in-chief who has a command of the English language. Now, what about this Gavin Newsom thing? I mean, I got to tell you, it is ironic that Gavin Newsom would even breathe the very possibility that the Democrat Party would pick him to represent them. Why wouldn't they get him? I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He's from California, the biggest state. They elected him out there. They re-elected him, it looks like. Why wouldn't he be a good candidate? Well, he hadn't done anything good, (laughs) putting it bluntly. Well, that's not the case. Californians think that way. Enough said. It's Californians. That's why hundreds of thousands of Californians are fleeing that state to get away from his egregious policies and get away from those people that think like him. I don't think he's a good candidate for re-election in California, yet alone think of him as a good candidate for president. And I don't think Democrat leadership, the DNC, is looking at Gavin Newsom. I'm, I'm sure he's one of the options that are out there. But they've got a candidate. I think they have a candidate. Who do you think it'll be? You know what? I'm not going to tell you. When I do tell you, today's not the day, but when I do tell you, it's going to blow your mind. But there's somebody out there waiting in the wings that I think if they run, I don't care if it's against Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, or whoever is a Republican, I think they've got a bet, a really good shot to win. It ain't going to be Joe Biden. And I don't think it's going to be Gavin Newsom. Now, right before we go to break, you remember that kid, that young guy in that Indiana shopping mall half happened to a shooting incident. He killed the shooter. And it only took him 15 seconds to return fire. Elisha Dickens, 
15 seconds to neutralize the gunman at that mall in Indianapolis. I've been to that mall a bunch. I know it. It's a nice mall. He shot the cop after the killer exited the bathroom where he began shooting into a food court. He killed three innocent people. Previously, it was reported it took him two minutes to take the guy out. But that was incorrect. The 22-year-old return fire fatally struck Jonathan Spearman, killing him and saving untold lives in the process. Dickens was legally armed while at the Greenwood Park Mall. He was shopping with his girlfriend at the time. Didn't hesitate in the least when the gunman opened fire. Greenwood Police Chief James Ison originally said the Good Samaritan opened fire after two minutes, but the cots have since clarified it was only 15 seconds. The three people killed were a husband and wife from Indy, Pedro Pineda, 56, Rosa Miriam Rivera de Pineda, 37, Victor Gomez, 30. The shooter also wounded a 12-year-old girl. A sapperman came out of the bathroom using a rifle to shoot at people in the food court. Dickon fired 10 rounds from a handgun from a distance, according to cops. I will say his actions were nothing short of heroic, the police chief said. He engaged the gunman from quite a distance with a handgun, was very proficient in that very tactically sound, and as he moved too close in on, close in on the suspect, he was also motioning for people to exit behind him. To our knowledge, he has no police training and no military background. Let me tell you who he is. He's a concealed carry American. He has got a concealed carry license. When you do that, you have to apply to get it. And in all states, to get a concealed carry permit, you have to go through training at a gun range. You have to be certified that you know what the heck you're doing. You can operate a gun, you know what you're doing, and you can shoot the gun and do it in the right way. That's what this guy said. So, he's a hero, but not if you look at CNN. Allison Camerata. Remember years ago, she was a weekend host at Fox News. She hated Fox News because they did not give her a shot at the morning show And so she left and she went to CNN. She turned over when she got to CNN. She's a hardcore leftist. She just couldn't stomach any praise being heaped on that good Samaritan in Indianapolis with a gun. She had to make a point that his actions shouldn't be necessary. The shooting occurred at that mall Sunday about 6 in the evening, ended with three shot and killed and the shooter taken down. Rather than celebrating the fact that the young guy stopped further carnage, Camarado decided she was going to declare we shouldn't have to rely on self-defense in situations like the one at the mall. Elisha Dickens shot and killed the suspect. The shooter reportedly brought a number of weapons with him to the mall, started firing on innocent bystanders. He was packing two rifles, a handgun, and extra magazines and ammunition. Think of what he could have done. Four people dead. Dickon was in the food court when it all began, and we just told you what he did. Camerata made her anti-Second Amendment remark. She said this, Police said that the gunman had a high-capacity magazine and 
this bystander not intervene when he did so quickly, more people could have been killed. That's from Victor Blackwell on CNN with Allison. Camerata then made her anti-Second Amendment remark, taking a gratuitous slap at gun rights. I mean, but are we all supposed to rely on an armed 22-year-old in the food court? Shouldn't have to, Blackwell told her. They do have a point. If more people had been legally armed, they likely wouldn't have had to rely on that 22-year-old. But it's a sure bet a lot of people there were very glad he had a gun on him and knew what he was doing and knew he was brave enough to stop that deranged killer who came to the mall to slaughter a bunch of people. Because of that young guy, only three died. If you're not a concealed carry person, if you don't have a permit, you might want to think about it. You might want to think about it. You never know. This guy... He probably did never think that he was going to have to pull that gun that he was carrying legally in that mall to protect himself and others. But it happened, and it usually does in an instant. Thank God he was there. Thank God there are millions of concealed gun carry permit holders across this nation. I'm one of them. I'm ready to do whatever I need to do at any time. When there's not a cop around, Americans still deserve. To be protected. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342. 529-8342. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar. Or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bacon with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. great policies and things that Joe Biden promised on the campaign trail that he was going to bring to the American people. Well, he's done a bunch of them. The ones where he said he was going to cancel the XL pipeline by canceling the permit and he was going to start the process of doing away with fossil fuel. But again, if you weren't with us at the top of the show, make sure you go back and listen to it early on because we talked about what is happening, how it happened, what made it happen and where we are, they came to power, this Democrat Party. They came to power 
in this administration with no plan. They had not investigated. They didn't have any experts involved in it. They just thought, they honestly felt like they could flip the switch, that Joe Biden could cancel the fossil fuel industry in America and that we would all be forced to go all electric overnight. And then somebody said, how are we going to make that happen? You heard Mayor Pete. You heard him for yourself. He said, oh, just because we don't like and don't think electric cars are going to work right now doesn't mean that we quit. No, it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that we should just let sycophants who got elected go up there and change anything at all without having a plan in place that they can show to us, you know, those people who they work for, and show us how it's going to work if it's implemented. And then we weigh in with our votes for or against whatever process they're talking about. But they're just not doing that. Let me tell you what some of them are doing. Representative Cori Bush, she's a member of the squad from Missouri. She was a big defund the police person. Out of her campaign funds, I'm sure she didn't tell anybody that gave her a campaign dollar that she was going to use the campaign funds that they paid her to pay for $400,000 for her own 24-7 personal protection. She hates the Second Amendment and wants it abolished. You and I, I don't have an extra 400 grand to have around-the-clock armed security, do you? She does. Campaign dollars. And then there's Democrat Representative James Clyburn. He is the heaviest weight in Congress after the top two in Democrat Party. He's the majority whip. He's from South Carolina. He paid from his campaign funds $21,000 to his grandson. Continuing a pattern that has alarmed ethic experts, he paid Walter Reed, the son of his daughter Jennifer Clyburn Reed, and son-in-law Walter Reed, 21 grand during the Federal Election Commission's second fundraising quarter. Reed is a salaried employee of the Clyburn campaign. He's been paid 58000 by the Friends of Jim Clyburn Campaign Committee since October of 2021. Friends of Jim Clyburn also paid 7500 in rent to 49 Magnolia Blossom LLC. That's a corporate entity controlled by Jennifer Clyburn Reed and Walter Reed. Walter Reed describes himself as Clyburn's campaign manager on his Twitter account. He called for court packing shortly after the Supreme Court released its rulings in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health Organization. Walter, like his grandpa, has also voiced support for eliminating the filibuster. Friends of Jim Clyburn additionally paid 49 Magnolia Blossom LLC $7,500 on April 29th for office rent. The Clyburn campaign has paid the LLC, which lists Clyburn's son-in-law, Walter Reed, as its registered agent, 70 grand since March of 2020. Tom Steyer's failed 2020 presidential campaign paid 49 Magnolia Blossom more than 45 grand for office space. Clyburn ultimately endorsed Joe Biden on the eve of the South Carolina primary. You know, 
listen, folks, this kind of stuff is, it's rampant. Most of the 535 that serve in Congress, they have at least every once in a while eased in a dollar or two here or there. We get that. But $400,000 in personal security? I don't know. I don't get that. Paying your grandson all that money? Taking money, campaign dollars, and then spending it like that? I don't think it's right. Wow. Thank you for being here today. Show went well. Had a lot we talked about. Got a lot of good things out there. Don't forget, Friday, that special guest in our first hour. But we're back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. sharp, Monday through Friday, TNN Live, produced by Truth News Network. Have a great hunt day.